1: Hey, it's Ari Mizel. Welcome to the Less Doing More Living podcast. Nine years ago, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, a little known, extremely painful and seemingly incurable disease, which forced me to go down a long road of radical transformation so that I could reduce stress and win back a normal life for me and my family. While extremely painful, Crohn's was the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to innovate and create the less doing more living system, which I used to govern my life. Then I was given the gift of starting to teach this system to other people, and over time I was able to help more and more people through a video course, this podcast, and the Less Doing More Living book. Now I have the privilege of working with some of the world's top business minds, including Dean Jackson, Joe Polish, Dave Asprey, and Jordan Harbinger, who have all decided to join me for the first annual Less Doing Live Summit that I'm holding in New York City from May 1st through 3rd. To get more information on the Less Doing Live Summit, you can go to the URL, lessdoinglive.com. Or you can also find links to the event on our main site, lessdoing.com. Now, enjoy today's podcast, and if you listen to the end of the show, I am going to give you more information on this event, as well as a way you can earn a free copy of my book, Less Doing, More Living. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Less Doing Podcast, and today is episode 136, and I have one of my favorite guest co-host back with me Dave Rayle. so good morning Dave what is up Ari how are you I'm good life is
0: uh life is good it's been cold here but uh, everything else is good
1: yeah so uh Dave is based in uh, the Denver area and so how did you get a bunch of snow yesterday or recently
0: uh, we've gotten some snow. The, the, the forecasts were calling for apocalyptic, epic, you know, record-breaking snow, and that did not materialize. It was supposed to snow all weekend and, and uh, really didn't get any. There's still some on the ground because it's been cold, from, from some, some snow on the ground from the previous week. But uh, yeah, we, we haven't gotten nearly what we were supposed to.
1: Yeah, now you are uh, kind of amazing when it comes to like cold handling and stuff. Because uh, Dave came to our our last mastermind retreat here in New York, and it was a particularly cold weekend, and you were without a jacket and short sleeves the entire time. So is it just something natural? You've always had that ability, or?
0: To an extent, yes. I'm from a, a place in Southern Colorado that uh, it, it's kind of, you know, one of three or four places in the U.S. that's often, you know, on, on the map for for coldest temperatures. So there, there's, to an extent, yes. But um, uh, at the same time, I, I used to wear coats and everything. It's really been kind of over the last couple of years that I've gotten into this uh, being uncomfortable is good for me mentality and taking cold showers and doing all that stuff. So I have, actually, I set a, a record for myself here a couple of weeks ago. Ago that I walked my kids to school. Uh, it was uh, 39 degrees, and I had uh, no sleeves and barefoot uh, walking to school. So barefoot. I, I was, yeah, yeah, I was pretty. I was pretty uh, proud of that, as, as silly as that might sound. Wait,
1: like literally barefoot, or like barefoot shoes?
0: uh literally barefoot I, I i've most of the time when i walk my kids to school I, you know unless there's if, if there's snow on the ground forget it I'm, I'm not getting my feet wet and cold but uh yeah I, I i just that that's something that i've decided that it's uh it's good for me to be uncomfortable
1: yeah well and apparently it's good for your kids to be uncomfortable too because you're like that creepy dad now that <laughs> yeah, like that's right whole... <laughs> yeah
0: there are a lot of kids that call me wackadoo so
1: yeah, it's uh, kind of okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um well, all right. I didn't I didn't know you went that far, but good for you. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, let's get into the links today. Oh, I, well, actually, so the, the interview today is with Drew Burney, who works for Mark Manson. And Mark Manson is actually somebody I'd probably like to get on the show at some point uh, as well. But basically, Mark has uh, all this personal development stuff on his website. And a lot of that, like with what I do, a lot of that is based on scientific studies and things that are coming out. And I'm always reading scientific studies. But he has this guy, Drew Bernie, who actually uh, who works for him and really knows his stuff when it comes to looking at the, the quality of these studies and where there might have been mistakes done and how the studies were actually conducted. So he is his head uh, of research, basically. And I really wanted to talk to Drew about Sort of the methodology and you know what you look for when you're trying to you know rip apart a study to see if it's actually any good and sample size and all that stuff. So it was it was pretty cool. That'll be
0: a neat a neat interview. That, that, that's a that's a skill that I don't have and that, you know, really being able to identify what's what and what makes <laughs> sense. You know from from this dearth of information that we have. So or I should say wealth of information. Um, but yeah, that's that'll be interesting. Looking forward to it.
1: Yeah. Well, and it, it, it's so. All these studies get so sensationalized in the media, you know, like, and, and some of them lead to really, really long-term harmful effects on society, like the low-fat movement that, you know, basically has taken us 30 years to, to just begin to start to get out of. Right,
0: the Ancel Keys studies.
1: Yeah, and it's like, you know, and the same thing with autism and vaccines and, like, you know, the, the the papers pick up things and they look at the headline, basically, and they turned into a more frightening headline, essentially. So, it, it, this was it was really... Really uh, educational interview. So, But there's a few links I want to share with you first. And uh, the first one is... And I I've tried it, and I can't believe it really works, but it does. It seems like. It's called Instant Blood Pressure. And it's an iPhone app that takes your blood pressure without any cuff. It's using just the iPhone. Interesting. How in the world would it do that? Okay. So you put... This is crazy, okay? So you put your finger over the lens... Uh, just like a lot of heart rate apps do sure. that. Sure. But then you put the microphone end of the phone against your chest where your heart is. Hmm. And it gets your blood pressure. And I I mean, it's it's accurate. It's really, wow. it's crazy. Uh, I mean, as accurate, like, I mean, I have a cuff and I also have, Well, so I have I have the Whiting's or the Whiting's automated oh, cuff. Sure. But I also have, I mean, you know, I'm an EMT, so I also have a real cuff and my stethoscope and everything. And... Uh, it it's it's really it's accurate and i i'm shocked i don't really know how it's getting that based on i guess hearing your heart but still like the the whole way that blood pressure monitors work is that they're you know cutting off your blood pressure and then releasing that pressure slowly to see at what point basically your blood pressure is strong enough to get your pulse going under that pressure and so i don't know how this is working but it but it works
0: that's definitely something to try to read more about
1: yeah and I mean, blood pressure is a really interesting way to... First of all, I mean, it, it's not the end-all, be-all uh, of, of of health uh, metrics by any means, but if you do know that you have very, very high blood pressure, that's something good to know because you might be actually hypertensive. If you have very, very low blood pressure, you should be careful about too much activity because you could easily pass out. And uh, it, it, blood pressure is a good indicator of your emotional state of all sorts of things. So if you're able... I, to me, this is just the beginning. Like getting the number of your blood pressure with just using your phone—that's great. But if you actually can use that information to correlate to things, I think that'd be pretty amazing.
0: And super easy to measure. That's that's great.
1: Yeah. So uh, check it out. And you know, I mean, the the reviews are good. I th- I found it to be accurate. Um, I'd love to hear if people had another experience with it, but uh, very very impressed. Neat. Yeah. So uh, the next one is a this is a great idea. It's called Short Short App, and it's for uh, it's for iPhone and iPad again. And basically, what it does is it it connects with uh, your other like all the reading services you can think of. You know, like Pocket, uh, Instapaper, Feedly, Readability, all, all those ones that you know people save articles to. But then you can sort by. I you have two choices. You can do articles that take less than five minutes to read, and articles that take less than ten minutes to read. Oh,
0: cool! Cool. Yeah, you're standing in line somewhere waiting for something or whatever and you want something to read during that time. That that makes a lot of sense.
1: Exactly. And it's going to it's going to take it from the sources that you're already grabbing it from, which is great because everyone like if you, you know, Medium is is a good example. It's like medium.com always has these really long-form articles. Yeah. So, uh it's It's just it, and those are going to be the ones that maybe you can't read necessarily, uh, you know, if you don't really have the time. So this is this is great. You get to actually uh, really get to those articles that you might not have gone to otherwise, and it's sorting it for you by how long they take to read. Cool. Um, Okay, so the next one is a physical device. Now, what's your opinion on the Segway, the Segway, you know, vehicle? Oh, sure, sure.
0: I uh, well, I, I loved seeing it in uh, Weird Al's, uh, you know, uh, white and nerdy video. That that was hilarious. Um, it, it's uh, I, I don't really have a strong opinion. Uh, it's probably useful in, in in certain situations.
1: Okay, fair enough. Um, so I, I I think it's kind of dorky, um, <laughs> but you know, and there's a lot of cops on them now in certain locales. But okay, so this device is called the IO Hawk, and you should look this up while we're talking. It's iohawk.com. It's basically like a Segway, but this is the size of like a small skateboard. And you stand on it, and it's got two independently shifting like feet, plat- things, pat- uh, platforms basically. So that's how you steer it. But basically, it's like a Segway without anything above your feet. Wow.
0: Do you see it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting so so you would control where you're going with this thing just with with uh, shifting your weight shifting, shifting your
1: weight forward and back and then you' I guess you're using your ankles sort of you know if you want to shift if you want to steer because it's like a tank basically you know you turn one one way and not the other. Wow that is remarkable
0: <laughs> I, 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 as, as a novelty and, and how the heck is this thing working I, I think that's uh, it, it's pretty um, something spectacular to look at. Um, as far as the real utility, I guess uh, are, are you really gaining a whole lot over just walking
1: yeah that 's the thing is i, I mean it, it actually it 's kind of fast right i mean well if you look at like a video of uh, it to me first of all i, I mean it, it obviously works, but it 's always interesting to me to look at these things and, and it's hard to believe that they really can balance somebody yeah, with so little leverage that they have, you know, there's such a small little thing, but yeah, this is, but yeah, that's a good question, right? Like why would you want to be rolling around on this thing instead of just maybe walking? I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Like if you're, if you're going a really far distance, this, maybe that's, this is an option. Um, I'm really not sure who the user is. That's the question.
0: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: It's a very cool thing, but, uh, yeah. I would
0: imagine somebody with, with some kind of disability could probably get a lot of utility. Well, if, yeah, if but then have.
1: you're st- but then you're standing up, right? They have to stand yeah, the whole true. time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, depending on the disability, it may or may not be useful.
1: Right, exactly. So um, interesting thing, interesting device, interesting technology, but we'll see who actually ends up using it. Uh, okay, so then the next one, this is a funny one, this is a really, really random one. But it's called JackPocket. And it so it's jackpocket.com and it lets you buy lottery tickets from your iPhone or from your mobile device, rather.
0: Lottery tickets, great.
1: But, like, real, yeah, okay, so this is not like a, it's not like I'm not a big lottery person. Sure. But, the, but I do, but honestly, like, every time there's like a $500 million jackpot or something, I usually go and buy a ticket. It's just one of those things. It's like, I, and I and I don't even pick the numbers. Let the computer pick the numbers, and I just buy a ticket. Whatever it's you know it's like a dollar so or ten dollars to get ten tickets, and that's it. But uh, it's one of those things that has a lot of legality around it. Obviously, and they need to know who's yeah. buying it, where's buying it, and so I actually I used this for. The, there was a five hundred million dollar. Jackpot about a week ago, and I used it, and it and it works. I mean, you get your numbers, and it's all there, and it's a lot easier to manage. And I imagine for somebody, first of all, who buys tickets every week, you know, and there are people like that—they play the same number every week for the last like 50 years or whatever—that this would probably actually be really convenient. And y- you get, the, I mean, it, it works. I really don't know how they make this work le- legally, but it does, and it's it's endorsed by the by the state lottos and stuff. So. If you want a more convenient way, uh, a less-doing way to buy your lottery tickets, this is it.
0: Seems like it just makes it easier for somebody who has uh, an addiction or so, some sort of problem with, with playing lottery, uh, easier to take a lot more of their money, which I guess people who are running these lotteries, you know, in, you know state governments and things like that, that probably uh, benefits them quite a lot.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, anyway, that's really. I thought that was pretty cool. And then the last one is a really interesting device. It's an Italian company called Co CoLux, uh, C O E L U X, and they have created a new technology for. Uh, it's an artificial lighting source, but they claim that it recreates the look of sunlight through a... So it's, a, it's an artificial skylight, and maybe you've seen that kind of thing before. The first ones were really just LCD screens that were showing an image of the sky or something. But basically, they claim that they've recreated the look of sunlight through a skylight so well that it will trick the human brain as well as cameras.
0: Really? Wow, this is something right out of Harry Potter with the uh, dining hall having the, the, the sky uh, showing up on the ceiling kind of a thing. That's uh, That's remarkable.
1: Yeah, so... If if it's this is an this is this is interesting for me. Okay, there, it's not like a dilemma, but on the one hand, obviously, I, I I I've said this before. I think it's really important that people get sun exposure. They get outside when they can. There are certainly situations where you really cannot. There are people who work, you know, in, in a government job and they're in a basement all day and they have. Well, actually, I was coming out of the subway the other day, New York City subway, and the the station that i was in happened to be one of the a larger station underground and the i i didn't even realize this but i walked by the office for the the new york transit police it was like a headquarters for the transit police and there's three people sitting in there and there is no natural light from anywhere like they're in the depths of the subway and i just felt it was like depressing i was so i felt so bad so like but there's a situation there are lots of situations like that where they really legitimately can't get natural sunlight in what you do and if this could provide an alternative that would actually make your body produce vitamin d and help with your circadian rhythm then great i think this is amazing that's uh, yeah that's
0: interesting if uh, if it really can do that uh yeah. so so it, it is artificial lighting so, it, so it's, it's completely not, artificial yeah
1: it's not hmm. but it's not I mean it's it's actually mimicking the Sun like sunlight
0: well that's that raises some interesting questions about how much of, of uh, production is really due to the nature of the Sun versus uh, what uh, what artificial lighting there could be or you know psychological effects of, of being around the Sun
1: right that's exactly uh, hmm. it, it does so it's really really cool so anyway, that's what I've got for today. So, you know, Dave, I, I, as always, I, I love talking to you on, on as my guest co-host. And thank you for taking the time. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day.
0: All right. This has been fun. Thanks, Ari.
2: And now for feature Interview. Now I'm
1: speaking with Drew Burney who is contact manager, content manager, sorry, for MarkManson.net. So, Drew, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So, first of all, let's talk about what you what you do for Mark Manson, and also what what Mark Manson's site is all
2: about. Uh, sure. Well, first, um, you know, Mark is uh, he, he's self described as a, a self help writer for people who hate self help, um, and he's um, you know really into psychology. Um, And uh, kind of self development, but he likes to take a kind of data driven and empirical um, approach to that. And so I help him out with research. I have a background um, in psychology and neuroscience. Um, uh, I've I've taught at the university level, taught research methods, um, as well as some other science uh, courses. And so, kind of on a a day to day basis with Mark now, anyway, I um, help him out with research, we'll help. Uh, I will help with um, the the research for the articles that we post for the blog, Um, and he's writing writing a new book right now too, and so helping out with that. Um, You know, I'll go through um, a lot of the scientific data that's out there in you know psychology and um, kind of slanted more towards uh, self development type stuff and evaluate it for him and. Um, we integrate that into um, our, the blog and Mark's writing. So, yeah, that's kind of the the basics of what I do.
1: Okay, cool. So, and and that's very interesting. And what I really want to get into though too, with you, too, is sort of about research methods, right? Yeah, sure, so, sure. So how, does Mark come up with the idea kind of and say, like, figure this out? Or, I mean, are you working on stuff, too? Like, how how does that sort of happen?
2: Yeah, for the most part, I mean, Mark will, um, you know, he'll have an idea or he'll even read some research on his own. And, um uh, you know, ask me to uh, kind of go do a literature search or um, uh, d- uh, dig up on things that I already know as well. So, he kind of leads the way on that. You know, I'll I'll suggest article ideas to him sometimes. Um, but so, yeah, it, 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 mainly what I do though is I'm evaluating, you know, uh, what's, what's good science and what's bad science a lot of times. That's a big part of my job anyway.
1: So, and, okay, well, so that's sort of a big question, I guess, but how do you kind of Start to look at what is the good science, what is the bad science. When you see, something yeah,
2: like. sure, sure. So um, you know, the, the, there's kind of a whole philosophy behind that question, right there. You know, evaluating what's good and what's bad. the 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 history and philosophy of science is, you know, a long and uh, arduous one. I guess you could say. Um, what I'm mainly looking for, just on a on a, on a micro level, I guess, is uh, you know, I'll, I'll go in and I'll look first at methods um, uh, the, the actual, what exactly did these, uh, these researchers do that makes them, um, confident in their claims, right? So I'll go, um, uh, if I find a study, let's say it's on, you know, a new, uh, kind of type of, um, um, you know, kind of a, like a self-development, um, technique, say it's, whether it's like, you know, let's say, um, Gratitude, practicing gratitude every day, or you know, even um, you know, even new therapies that come out for like anxiety or depression or something like that. Because we'll we'll get into that a little bit too. You know, I'll, I'll go and I'll look at exactly okay, what did they do? What did they have these people do? Do they have first of all? One of the big questions is, do they have a control group? That's, um seems to be. Uh, the um, when when well, a lot you know,
1: sorry to interrupt you actually on that, <laughs> no, but like, how do you? That's one of the things I always find interesting is uh, it, it's one thing to look at the studies that have to do with like a drugs efficacy, for instance. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about like self development stuff. Wh- how do you find a control group? You know, <laughs> or like, yeah, what that, is a control group made of?
2: Well, and, and that's just it in the social science social sciences like psychology and, um, and you know sociology. Um, they have to get pretty creative sometimes to uh, come up with uh, a good control group. Um, so a lot of times, you know, for instance, one um, one example I guess I could use like um, there was the um, uh, like neurofeedback training or, or biofeedback, what they call, um, is kind of a – well, it's, I guess it's kind of been a buzzword for a, a while now in certain circles. And the, it, the, the technique behind it is, you, you know, you hook up to um, – uh, like an, uh, an EEG machine, electroencephalograph, uh, and uh, you can measure brain waves that way, right? It's just a cap you put on your head and it'll measure brain waves, and you can get feedback on your brain activity while you're doing a certain task. And there's um, you know, a lot of studies out there that claim that, oh, this can increase your focus and memory, um, can reduce anxiety, can reduce depression, so on and so forth. Um, and a lot of times what they've done is they've just kind of, they have one group, and they just administer this uh, technique to them and then you know do a before and after measurement which is you know there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that but uh, the control group in that case uh, they, they don't have a control group if they just do a, a before and after test so while it's not completely invalid it's not as strong as it could be uh, one of the problems though is uh, coming up with control groups so getting back to your point here about how difficult it is to come up with control groups sometimes um, one of the problems is, is that they, it, it, it's, it's hard to trick somebody into think that, thinking that they're um, actually getting neurofeedback when they're actually not. Um, they've recently come up with new techniques where they're able to do that, um, but it took a long time to do that. Uh, so you have to trick somebody into thinking, oh, yeah, you're actually um, undergoing uh, neurofeedback, and so they're looking there at whether you know it's just a placebo effect or not. So the problem was coming up with a technology that, that could um, kind of dupe people into thinking that they were um, uh, undergoing this procedure or not. So I guess, does that make sense? Is that, um, no, of course, of, yeah. And,
1: and that's, that's one of the things, by the way, that's always so shocking to me, is the creativity, I think, that's required to be uh, someone who designs these experiments.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the further, uh, it, I've been told this uh, and, and experienced it myself too, the further you get into it, the more creative you realize you have to be. Um, and I think that's overlooked sometimes by people, you know, they, they look at, you know, scientists and researchers and, and think with their, you know, very uh, kind of organized left brain kind of uh, very sequential thinking, linear thinking. But actually, it's, it's, there's a lot of creativity that goes into it. So, yeah, I'm glad you can appreciate that anyway.
1: Oh, no, absolutely. And it makes me think of this one study that I saw about sleep. Trackers and, and sleep, uh, sleep studies, where they took these group of college students and they did a, an actual sleep study on all of them, but then they varied the results that they gave to people. So, even if somebody, mm. so if somebody might have had a good night's sleep, but they said, you know, well, the computer said that you, you had a, a poor night's sleep. And then they gave all of them a cognitive test, and the people who had been told that they had poor nights of sleep actually performed worse on the tests.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, yeah, the power of the human mind uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating.
1: So okay, so you get so control group is the first thing you look at, and then and then what?
2: Um, well, it, it, it kind of depends. You know, a, a lot of times, so I go will go straight to the methods. And look at okay, do they have a control group? Uh, you know, not and not only that, but sometimes they can have a control group that's a bad control group. So, um, for instance, I'll, I'll just keep with the example of the neurofeedback. A lot of the research that was done on that, what they would do. Uh, one group in particular that I'm familiar with, anyway, a lot of times what they would do is they would get um, uh, uh, university professors or um, something like that. Probably their colleagues is what they were doing, and they would put them in the in the neurofeedback group, and then they would go out into the community and they would grab you know executives um, from companies in the community and bring them in, and they would be their control group. Well, right there, you're already uh, so okay. So they have a control group, but this is a bad control group. So. Um, right there, they're already um, uh, not comparing apples to apples, if you will. So, is there um, when they when they if they do have a control group, are their groups randomized? Have they just randomly um, assigned people to a control versus um, their their experimental groups, um, being double blind as well? You know, does the uh, not only does the 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 person who's undergoing experimental treatment um, or control treatment um, not only do they not know which group they're in, but also the researcher um, themselves. Do they know which group the the person is in? So, you know, if somebody comes in for, say, a new um, therapeutic technique or something like that, uh, the um, the therapist uh, or or researcher in that case, who's administering the the therapy, you know, they are going to be biased if they know which treatment that uh, the the, the particular individual is um, receiving so they maybe not only bias in the delivery of the treatment but also bias in the evaluation um, of the treatment so there there needs to be that double blind aspect to it so that's uh, randomization and and being double blind um, are two um, pretty big ones when it comes to you know again this is this is goes back to not only in drug studies but other studies as well where um, you know where it's like a, from a self development uh, point of view or something like that. So yeah, that's another that's another big point.
1: This, this it may seem like an obvious question, but with the double blind, why is it so important that the person administering the test doesn't know?
2: Right. Okay. So I, I guess I briefly touched on it, um, but there's bias, and it's uh, oftentimes it's unconscious bias that uh, the the experimenters can introduce into the study. So for instance. Uh, let's take like a nootropic example. Um, if you have a, a nootropic of some sort that increases, uh, that purportedly increases your focus or memory or something like that, and the researcher themselves uh, themselves know that uh, a, a particular participant that they're um, uh, that's that's in their study, let's say they know that they're in the uh, nootropic group, they're in the, the drug group, the actual treatment group when they go to evaluate them, say it's on a memory task or something like that, that might have a qualitative uh, portion to it, the researcher um, introduces the possibility of being biased in their evaluation. If this researcher has these preconceived notions that, yes, this nootropic itself um, probably does increase focus or um, uh, increases memory or something like that, they can introduce their bias into their results uh, when they're evaluating their participants. So that's a, that's a big one.
1: Oh, that's interesting, you know, because I always thought it actually had to do something with when they physically administer the testing, that they might, like, might something in their body language might indicate something or whatnot. So that, that's interesting that it's actually really about the results, too.
2: Well, well that, too. I mean, that, that it can definitely um, be from the other side, too, when you're actually administering the results, but um, and, and also collecting the results and even analyzing the results, too.
1: Yeah. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So, first of all, knowing that there are people like you out there and that these are the ways that you're going to look at things, it's how is it? That you, and why do you think that we see so many fought, like failed Not failed. Sorry, but you see so many studies where the media just blows it out of proportion, and the studies themselves are just total crap. And like, how are people? Why are people putting them out there? How is that so frequent?
2: Well, part of it. That's a really good question. Part of it is the the um, culture of uh, science, for one thing, that's that's one side of it anyway, where um, in academia especially, there's a lot of pressure to publish, and there's a lot of pressure to publish high-profile studies. Um, and so, the, you know, there's... I hate to, you know, I, I wouldn't want to call out all of scientists that way because I would say the vast majority of them understand that you know, all results are very tentative. Um, But there's also the aspect that society looks to science for some, you know, some modicum of certainty. And while while I think science can provide uh, certain things, um, uh, certain certain evidence to uh, help with... uh, you know, teasing out the truth, whether that's the, the little little T or big T truth. Um, there's certain aspects that it can help with, but nothing is ever definitive. Now, on the other hand, though, society, you know, people like to think in terms of black and white, and um, they'll look to science for certainty. And so when something comes out um, that's, you know, uh, blown up in um, the media or something like that, a lot of times what's happening is you have a couple of things working Um Uh, working on a societal level, I think, or even on an individual level where you have like the confirmation bias where people who believe a certain thing are looking for evidence that will only confirm what they already believe. And so when a certain uh, study comes out, you know, that says, uh, you you know, X, um, say, uh, social media or something like that makes you more narcissistic. Well, if you already believe that, you're going to believe the studies that say that. There's, to me, I've done a lot of research on this actually, and there's no studies out there that I think are any good that actually prove that. I think it's just more narcissistic. Narcissistic narcissistic people use social media more, for instance, right? But if you already believe that um, one way or the other, you're only going to um, pick out information that supports that idea. So there's that, um, that, and you know, the media just needs to sell. Uh, the media, so there's that working against us as well.
1: Well, now, what what do you do, or I mean, is there anything that you do to actively, I guess, prevent your own biases from coming into it when you're looking at these things?
2: Uh, that's a that's a good question. Um, I'm often aware of my biases, um, my biases that enter into a lot of uh, my work. Um, And sometimes it's it's still, even if you're aware of them, sometimes it's still kind of hard to uh, mitigate that. Um, One thing, though, you need to, uh, I think the the biggest thing that I do, though, is just I'm never certain about anything. And that drives some people nuts. I get that. Um, But being a researcher, you know, for the past 10 years or so, I've learned to just not you're just you're just skeptical skeptical about everything, and so and that can be a little bit debilitating sometimes. You know, you don't get anything done that way, um, or you, you don't make any firm conclusions. But you know, it's best to have ideas and not beliefs, and to keep that in mind. Um, so if I go into uh, researching a topic, or go back to the neurofeedback um, uh, example, I went in and I'd heard of neurofeedback before, you know, and uh, uh, talked about it with other people, and I, I realized I already had preconceived notions that it, I I was a, a skeptic. I I, I wasn't um, convinced that it, it really did what people said it did. Um, so I I knew going into that 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 was um, my my preconceived notion itself. So what you have to do is you go back and you say, okay, look for studies that have. Um, you know, a control group, randomized, double-blind. Look for good quality studies and see what they say. All right, and don't ignore them. Now, there's a couple studies out there that did have decent controls. They had you know double-blind um, as much as they could, and um, they were randomized. And there is some evidence that neurofeedback in certain situ- situations does work. So again, all it did was <laughs> you gotta kind of go back and uh, confirm that you, you can't be certain about anything. Um, and it's not, uh, there, there, there's nuance to everything. So I think that's the biggest thing really, is that being aware of your biases for one and, um, uh, trying to mitigate them the best you can, but also just keeping an open mind and never being certain about anything, never even being certain about your own certainties, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, sure. Of course. Now, have you ever considered or played around with designing your own studies
2: Yes, definitely. Um, I was uh, a researcher at the uni- University of Nebraska for a little while. Um, worked at the University of Iowa for a little while. I've been published um, uh, in several different journals. Uh, so yeah, I've definitely done that.
1: Okay, and and then. Obviously, you know, with, with what you're doing with Mark, you're looking at a lot of stuff that has to do with personal development, but are mm-hmm. there, are there <laughs> I guess this may be a weird question, but like are there certain studies that you really like reading, like, uh, you know, nutrition ones or supplements or anything? Are there ones that you think that are, they really kind of like get you really interested?
2: Um, yeah, well, actually, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I actually do, I didn't realize it, but I do like reading um, articles on like nootropics and supplements. Um I think you found me through a podcast I did with Jesse uh, yeah. Waller, uh, Yeah, the, the smart drug smarts. And I hadn't read a whole lot about nootropics up until that point. And then I started getting into them kind of. And um, I actually really like those because those are pretty clean. They, those can be really clean studies. You know, you can have a pretty definite control group, and the outcomes are. Um, are more or less pretty objective, so those are, are fun to read, and you can get some really well designed studies. You can also get some really crappy studies too. Yeah, um, so I definitely like reading about nootropics and stuff like that. I also really like um, reading about uh, 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 drug studies, kind of from a, a standpoint of addiction, though too. That was that's always been a fascination of mine is addiction. So yeah.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, now what about like productivity, motivation, that kind of stuff, you know, which is, which is sort of my, my realm is, Mm -hmm. uh, have there been studies that you've come across that you thought were particularly good and like, or or more, more uh, importantly, uh, the conclusions that you got from those studies, are there things that you've gleaned that you thought were particularly interesting and, and apt?
2: Yeah. So, um, if, if you, if any of your, um, listeners out there are interested, uh, Carol Dweck has some really good stuff. Have you heard of her? I'm sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She has some really good stuff and they've, um, uh, most of the time, most of her methods are, are really good. Um, you know where they where they'll do motivational stuff. A lot of it's with college students, um, but I think she's done. She's in the recent years. She's with her higher profile. She's done some good research in the community as well, um, where they talk about you know motivation and um, I think I think she might have even been the one who termed uh, who coined the term grit, which I hate that word so much because it's just really? a buzzword. Uh, I, I don't like the I don't like the word just because it's. I, I think it's misused. Um, I think it was a good idea when she started it, and then it's one of those things that got overused and misused. So that's, that's neither here nor, nor there. But um, her, a lot of her work is really good. That um, and I like to read it. And she's a really good writer in general, too. Um, even for even for an academic, academics aren't very good uh, writers sometimes in terms of writing for a general audience. But she's pretty good. Um, I think her stuff is really good. Um, I don't know. I guess. Uh, one other realm i guess that's sort of related i guess is uh, uh, uh robert cialdini he's the influence guy the the guy who um, you know talks about um, uh, persuasion and influence in other people he's got some really good stuff as well too so and, and he he really takes it from a he's a psychologist trained psychologist as well and he takes it from a very uh, empirical approach um, and and is a really good writer as well so yeah those are uh, two of my favorites in that realm anyway
1: Right. Okay. Cool.
2: Oh, and Dan Gilbert. Sorry, Dan Gilbert. or more. He's really good. Harvard psychologist, I believe. Um, and his stuff is a lot has a lot to do with motivation um, and um, interpersonal relationships and stuff like that. He's got really good stuff as well.
1: Nice. Okay. Cool. So the last question that I always like to ask on this mm-hmm. these interviews is: What are your top three tips for people? In order to be more effective, and you know, you you've already just shown us some ways to sort of cut through cognitive biases and whatnot. But what are three ways that you would advise people to be more effective?
2: Well, um, I, I think one of those uh, one of the things I did say already was, um, you know, to uh, suspend uh, your beliefs and just have ideas. You know, don't be don't be certain about certain things. Uh, 't I'm sorry, don't be certain about a certain thing. Don't be certain about um, much of anything because we can't be. And that's okay. be okay with that, you know what I mean. Um, another thing too, don't be afraid to you know don't be afraid to be wrong. Oh my gosh, we, we, we learn way more from being wrong and there's a big problem actually in um, the scientific field right now um, with this um, which has been kind of termed, or at least I call it the survivor uh, bias where, we, you know, we only publish and uh, evaluate results that um, uh, come out to be positive instead of, you know, come out to be ne- negative, I guess you could say, with st- statistically significant results we, we put more value on those um, from a cultural standpoint in, in the, the cultural science. But really um, we learn so much more from when we're wrong. Um, I think that's uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, lessons anybody can learn is that it's okay to be wrong. Um, And, and, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, lip service given to, oh, failure is a good thing, and, you know, you should learn from failure, yada, yada. But, um, you know, realize how um, it's so much more um, efficient to be wrong sometimes than it is to be right, because when you just go around confirming everything, um, that that doesn't really get you uh, anywhere. And I think last, uh, so my... my, um, the the last thing to be more effective, I think, would be that uh, it's okay if you're not. Uh, it's okay to not always be uh, happy, to not always be uh, okay. If that's if that makes uh, any sense, you know, coming from like I said, I do a lot of um, research in the personal development realm, and I think um, the one of the Uh, Unfortunate things about the positive psychology movement is that they took it a little too far. Uh, They went too far one way, and they said, uh, you know, focus on the good emotions and uh, uh, you know, uh, block out the bad. I I know Mark's new book. Sound like I'm putting a plug in for it, and I guess I am. But I know his new book is going to deal a lot with uh, you know, accepting adversity, uh, accepting negative emotions as part of life. And actually kind of embracing them, too. It's okay to, to, to feel bad sometimes. And I think that's uh, if we don't spend so much energy um, railing against those things. And the research is panning out for this as well. Um, so I, I think that's uh, a, a big takeaway that we should all work towards as well.
1: Well, that's, those, those are wonderful pieces of advice. Thank you for that. And, yeah, sure. Uh, Drew, it's, it's really been a pleasure speaking to you. Can you please tell people where they can find out more about you? Uh, we're going to have all this in the show notes, but I, I'd like you, know, you to tell us. And then, uh, yeah, let us know.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, you can find out a little bit more about me on Mark's website probably is a good place to go, markmanson.net. Um, I'm, I think the only uh, place I make an appearance there is on the About page, which is fine with me um you can also follow me on twitter if you want to just at drew bernie um all one word d-r-e-w b-i-r-n-i-e and um i don't i don't tweet a lot of funny stuff so i'm sorry if that's what you're looking for
1: (laughs) (laughs) well Drew, thank you so much for your time that was awesome thanks ari hey it's ari again Thanks for listening to today's show. As I promised at the beginning of the show, I am going to tell you more about the Less Doing Live event in New York City from May 1st through 3rd. Then I will tell you how you can earn a free copy of the Less Doing More Living book. Less Doing Live is an event I am putting on with Business Research Group in New York City. We have designed this event to give you and a small group of Less Doing Fanatics a personal, quality experience. We are limiting this event to 150 participants in Manhattan to make sure that I get a chance to meet and hang out with every one of you. Now here's why this event is different. You see, most business conferences are just a series of speeches on a stage where smart speakers get up and give you tons of great information. In fact, it's usually so much that you don't know what to do with it all. But at Less Doing, our community is all about taking action. So I have designed this event to make you take action. But at Less Doing, our community is all about taking action. So I've designed this event to make sure you do take action. Because the only way to make big changes in your life is to invest in yourself. And that's not only an investment of your money, because you can always earn more of that, but rather an investment of your time, which is something so precious, because you can never get it back. So at this event, we're not just going to talk. On the first morning, Dave Asprey and I are going to share with you the latest cutting edge tips on how to hack your productivity and biohack your body. But then that afternoon, it's going to get really exciting when we break down into small groups and get you into workshops to solve your biggest problems in productivity. What are the workshops going to be? They'll be designed to help you tackle the fundamental problems that stop 99% of the world from realizing their full potential getting your email down to inbox zero and mastering your communications with the world or a scheduling class where you can learn how to automate your schedule to the point where you will have a calendar working for you or an outsourcing class where you can learn how to get rid of 95% of the things that you shouldn't be doing on a daily basis. We're also going to have a biohacking class. That's going to include nutrition and help you master your body and your life. Which one of these classes should you attend? Well, that's where my less doing certified coaches come in. Before we even let you get to the event, you have to speak to one of our coaches so that we can talk to you and see if the event is right for you. That way we can make sure that we truly help you. So to get to the event, you just need to enter your email and then register to speak to one of our less doing certified coaches in a free 45 minute coaching call where you will learn the one area of your life that you need the most help with and will get the most impact out of. Now as a special gift to you for joining this free coaching call, I want to recognize your commitment to your productivity by giving you a free copy of the book, Less Doing, More Living. Thanks for listening.